So if you didn't take notice to them yet, hopefully when you leave, go out this direction today, you will take notice to the stakes that are in the ground with the ribbons on them. Those are the stakes that mark out our foundation for the addition that's going in, God willing, very soon. And so uh, when you get out today, make sure you check out the footprint and get kind of a more of a visual concept of the space that we're going to, God willing, be moving into uh, over the summer into the fall uh, as soon as we are able to. It's an exciting thing to see uh, those things happening. We've been working in the basement, as you know, expanding some classrooms. If you are able to get downstairs sometime, check it out. The rooms look amazing. we got the children's ministry going again today, and we're super excited about that. I was helping out with uh, some of the demolition and taking down some of the drop lights that were in those classrooms. And so I was up on a ladder and trying to uh, unhook the electric and all this. And while I was up there, I noticed in one of the classrooms on top of one of the lights, there were some things up there that kids over the years have thrown up onto the lights. And I don't want that falling on my head, so I need to get that stuff off of there. I found like a little toy banana up there. I found a piece of cake. I didn't eat the cake. I licked it to see what flavor it was, but I didn't eat it. No, I didn't do that. So I I got the stuff down, and while I was up there, I noticed there was this paper airplane up there. I thought, that is a sweet paper airplane. That is really well made. And I brought that down, and I I looked at it, and that is old. That has dust on it. It's got chocolate cake on it. It's been up there a while. And I thought, wow, the font on that goes back to the days of the typewriter. Anybody know what a typewriter is? There's some people in the room that remember the typewriter. And so that's how this bulletin fashioned into this sweet airplane was made from that bulletin. And I look on there and I say, oh, Mary and Michelle Lingenfelder were in the nursery serving the day of this bulletin. And that's kind of cool. And then my dad, uh, Rod Lingenfelder, director of music, so everyone's serving God in my family the day that this, you know where I'm going, the bulletin was fashioned into an airplane, and then I thought, oh, wonder what date that was, 1991, all right, do some math here, I was 16 years old, I will not confirm nor deny that I was in that classroom in 1991 as a 16-year-old rip making paper air. I don't know who did it. I'm just saying it was up there. It's in the window of possibility. As I looked at that paper airplane, I was immediately transported back to some days in the past uh, that I'm not so super uh, proud of. And I'm, I'm thinking back to the days of my youth and some of the things that I wish I maybe could go back and do over, things I wish I hadn't said, things I wish I hadn't done. I mean, you think about this. Think about a Sunday school teacher who works really hard all week to put together a lesson to teach her students about the love of Jesus, and there was probably weeks where she was struggling to demonstrate love to this kid making paper airplanes in her Sunday school classroom. And I don't know what it would be for you, Uh, Maybe there's some things uh, way worse in your life than a paper airplane there would be in mine. But as you look back over your life, maybe there's some things that you look back and wish, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Maybe it was uh, something, a bad decision that you made at a party. Maybe you look back over your life and there's some things you wish uh, that uh, you would have done. You made a promise to someone and you didn't keep it. 
you weren't faithful to that promise. And you look back and you wish that you would have followed through on that promise. Maybe there's things that you said that you wish you could take back and you hurt someone deeply with your words. Maybe there's things you look back and you wish that you had said and you didn't. Your friend really needed you to stand up for them. Your friend really needed you to defend them and you said nothing. Maybe in your past there's things like addiction and you look back and whatever it was in your past that you were addicted to, it hurt people. Not just you, it hurt people in your life. It affected not just you, but it affected everyone around you. And you look back and, man, I made a mess with those decisions. Maybe when you look back over your life, you, you get older and you get to that place of maybe retirement age, and you look back and, and you look at your career and you look at your family, and it kind of hits you one day. Man, I gave my soul to that business, to that company, when I should have been giving my heart to my family. And I didn't balance it out well. Maybe there are things in your past that haunt you. Decisions that still you carry around the pain of. And it's not that you don't want to lay it down. It's not that you don't want to move past from it, but you don't know how. It's like it's stuck there and you can't get rid of it and it's painful every time you think about it. We are wrapping up this series today called The Grudge, and that's what this series has been about. It's about learning how to lay down the painful things that we sometimes carry around in life and having the faith that we need to forgive. We started out talking about forgiving the small offenses in life. And we learned that we can do that by applying love, by demonstrating love and saying Okay, that just happened, but I'm over it. I'm going to overlook that offense because of love. And we talked about forgiving the big betrayals in life. And we learned that in order to, to forgive the big betrayals in life, we have to remember that forgiveness is primarily an act of obedience. God says we have to, so we have to if we're going to be obedient to God. And that obedience to God is connected to our faith in Jesus. Jesus demonstrated for us what forgiveness looks like, even from the cross. And he gives us, as a follower of his, he gives us the power, the desire, the strength to forgive even the big stuff through the power of his Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about forgiving God, and not in the sense that God has done something wrong or that he owes us an apology. God doesn't sin. So it's not forgiveness in that sense, but sometimes people carry around anger towards God. God didn't do what you wanted Him to do, or God didn't step in and intervene and stop something from happening that you wish He would have. You don't like it, and you don't understand it, and sometimes there's this this low-grade anger that just persists over time against God, and you don't want it there, but you don't know how to lay it down. And we talked about the difference of why is it that some people walk through the same painful experience in life and there are some people who seem to land in a place of acceptance and other people seem to land in this place of anger. What's the difference? The difference we saw from Job's life is is being willing to worship God in our pain. If we are willing to worship God in our pain, we will move towards a place of acceptance and away from a place of anger. 
And today we're going to wrap up the series and we're going to be talking about forgiving that one person that so many times is the hardest person for us to forgive, ourselves. If you would join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm going to jump in in verse 8, we're going to focus on verse 10. But I want to give you a little bit of context into verse 10 that I hope will be helpful to you. We're going to start in verse 8. Paul writes this, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. And we kind of jumped into the middle of a thought or this conversation here, and we really don't know a whole lot about what he's talking about. He doesn't spell it out because they know what he's talking about. The, the, the church in Corinth that received this letter had also received a previous letter where Paul confronts them about something that they had done or maybe something they had not done that they should have, but he confronts them with their wrongdoing. Whether it was an attitude or an action or an inaction, He doesn't spell it out for us, but they were in the wrong, and Paul confronted them in a letter. They got it, they read it, and it it hurt because they knew that what Paul was writing was true. Now, when that happens, when we are confronted with something that we've done or said or thought that is wrong, we have a choice to make. Uh, We can uh, be angry at the person who confronts us and points out our wrong and and blame other people and rather than own it. There's choices to be made in how we're going to receive that when it's brought to us that we're in the wrong. He says in verse 9, I am glad that I sent it, not because I hurt you, but because that pain is what caused you to repent and change your ways. And so they made a choice to receive that, even though it was kind of hard to hear. They made the choice to receive it, to listen, to reflect, and repent. He says this in the rest of verse 9 It was the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way, not in the long term, not in the big picture even though in the moment it hurt, right? Verse 10, here's our key verse. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, and it results in salvation. When we talk about leading us away from sin, you might even have the word repentance. That's what it's describing there. leads us to repentance. It leads us to salvation and The result of that, the result of repentance and the result of salvation is what? There's no regret. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, he says, that lacks repentance and that results in spiritual death. Paul describes two different types of sorrow. He describes two different types of guilt. Godly sorrow, godly guilt, and and worldly sorrow, worldly guilt. Guilt. Let's think through how Paul describes them. Godly sorrow, he says, is something that leads to repentance. It leads to a change of heart. It leads to things like salvation and a life without regret. In verse 11, he talks about some of the things that, 
that godly sorrow produces in us. One of the words he uses is the word earnestness, which is just a seriousness about what you've done or what you've said or, or what's been going on in your mind and in your, in your attitude and your heart. It's just a seriousness about it. It's not blowing it off. It's not making excuses. It's not blaming someone else. It's owning it. Yes, I was in the wrong. What I said, what I did, what I thought was not okay. And it's a seriousness about that. And godly sorrow will lead us to a place where we take it seriously. It also, it says here, produces an eagerness to make things right. An eagerness for this desire to have justice, to take what was wrong and and make it right. Those are the kind of things that godly sorrow produces in us. And then he describes worldly sorrow in a much different way. He says worldly guilt, worldly sorrow does not lead us into repentance. Oftentimes it results in anger and bitterness. And they had a choice. When Paul wrote that letter prior to this one, whatever it was that he confronted them on, it hurt them. They didn't like hearing it, and they had a choice to make. They could have become angry and bitter towards Paul. Who do you think you are, Paul? How dare you accuse us of whatever this is? Right? They could have responded that way. Maybe you know people who have responded that way when they've been confronted with what they've done wrong. Maybe you have. But sometimes people will respond that way, and that's not godly sorrow. That's not godly guilt. That is a worldly way to deal with guilt. Sometimes people will say the words, I'm sorry, but they don't really mean it. Maybe they, maybe they got uh, embarrassed that they were caught. Maybe uh, they feel some level of shame, but it's not enough for them to make it right. It's not enough for them to make a change. It's just words. That's worldly guilt. That's worldly sorrow. And sometimes uh, people do know that they have made the wrong choice, and they live in that regret for years. It's just this ongoing feeling of shame and guilt that they want to get rid of, but they don't know how to lay it down. They did something. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. And they go through life just feeling worthless, feeling unforgivable. And sometimes those feelings even lead people into dark holes that they don't know how to get out of. And that's a worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow or guilt can sometimes even happen in the case of like a false guilt, where people feel guilty about something that wasn't their fault. Your parents got divorced. You were sexually abused. Maybe someone that you love, someone that you cared about committed suicide. These thoughts, years later, continue to persist. Maybe if I'd have just done something more, I could have, I should have done something more to stop it. That's worldly, false guilt. It's lies. Those thoughts don't come from God. The two types of sorrow, the two types of guilt could not be more different. been thinking a lot about the paper airplane that I found. I know it's just a paper airplane, but I've been thinking about it in a, in a metaphoric type sense. I've long since repented of the foolish things from my past. I've long since apologized 
to Sunday school teachers that had to put up with my immature behavior. But finding that paper airplane was kind of like someone coming alongside, stepping into that room and saying, "Uh uh-huh, maybe no one else knows, but I remember. I remember what you did. You were a jerk. I remember what you said. I remember what you did. If the people in this room knew the full story about your past, they'd find another church. In a moment like that, and and I don't know what would cause you to remember something that you've done, something from the past. I don't know what would cause that for you. But in a moment like that, you and I have a choice to make. What are we going to do with that guilt? What are we going to do with that reminder of our past that we're not proud of? See, godly sorrow will lead me to a place of repentance, to a place of forgiveness, to a place of grace, to a place of no regret. It'll lead me into the presence of God, but worldly sorrow will lead me away from God into a place of persistent shame and regret. And and the choice between the two, listen carefully, the choice between the two is dependent upon our faith. What do I really believe about God? What do I really believe about His grace and His forgiveness? What do I really believe about what Jesus did on the cross and the power of His resurrection to change my future? What do I really believe about that? Because if I truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, well then, yes, I am persistently moving towards a Jesus-centered life, but we all fall short of that standard. And when we fall short of that standard, the gospel pulls us back to repentance. The gospel pulls us back and, 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 and into a relationship with Jesus, not away from God, It's admitting, when we talk about repentance, we're talking about admitting that what I did, what I said, what I thought was wrong. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to blame someone else or something else. I'm going to own it. I confess it. And I humbly ask for forgiveness. But we have to believe by faith that God is going to keep His promise, that He is who He says He is. God claims in the Bible. We'll look at the verse a little bit later. God claims that He's faithful. He claims that He's just. He claims that He is willing to forgive us and remove our sin from us completely. God claims that about Himself. Do I believe it? I have to, at some point, I have to accept and believe that by faith. So do you. That's not how the world treats us. And so to believe that about God requires of us faith when we are confronted with the things that we have done wrong or reminded of our past mistakes, we all have that choice to make. Am I going to choose godly sorrow? Am I going to choose worldly sorrow? And the difference between the two choices really does come down to what do you believe about God? I think one of the most vivid examples of how godly sorrow and worldly sorrow play out in in people's lives is the contrast between Peter and Judas. 
And some of you know the story of Peter and Judas, but for those of you who may not be as familiar, Peter had bragged. They're both disciples of Jesus, right? They're both, both followers of Jesus, and uh, they both uh, they both betrayed Jesus. Now, you might, you might say, well, the, the betrayal of Judas was much worse. Maybe the results, but the, their heart condition after they realized what they had done, after they betrayed the friendship of Jesus, both of them uh, were absolutely ashamed of themselves. Both of them were broken. Peter bragged that he would never... He would, he would never abandon Jesus. He would fight to the death for Jesus. That's what he said. And Jesus told him, well, actually, uh, before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny you even know who I am three times. And Peter said, that's never going to happen. I am in it to the end. And, of course, as you know, some of you may know the story. Uh, Jesus is arrested, and there's false trial going on. Peter is out in the courtyard as this uh, false trial was happening. And, and uh, someone there in the courtyard says to him, you're one of the disciples. No, I'm not. Happens the second time. Yeah, yeah you're, you're one of them. I recognize you. You're one of the disciples. No, I'm not. I don't even know who, who he is. Happens a third time. And after the third time that he denies that he even knows who Jesus is, that he's not connected to him at all, what happens? The rooster crows just like Jesus said. And in the text, the verses are up here on the screen for you, in the text it says that he went out and he wept bitterly. He experienced guilt, tremendous guilt for betraying his friend. But if you continue on in Peter's story, we see that he chose godly sorrow. He chose to repent. He chose to trust in the grace of Jesus. And when you fast forward uh, to John chapter 21, we see this conversation between Peter and Jesus, where Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Yes, I love you. Go feed my sheep. Go, go do what I've called you to do. Three times. I'm sure there was a connection between the three denials and Jesus asking him three times, do you really love me? Yes. And get back to doing what I've called you to do. And what we see in Peter's life, the next scene is Peter on the day of Pentecost, and he's preaching the gospel boldly. He, he gave the keynote sermon, and thousands of people received Jesus as their Savior. Judas also betrayed Jesus. For 30 pieces of silver, he had organized with the, the chief priests this night raid where they were going to arrest Jesus in the garden. It's dark. And Judas would come up and he would kiss Jesus on the cheek. That way they knew that they had the right guy when they arrested him. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed his friend. He felt bad about it once he discovered that they were going to crucify him. And he went to the, the chief priest and said, this isn't right. And they, we, don't, we don't care, it's your problem. And he throws the money down and he went and he hung himself. Judas chose not to repent. Judas instead chose worldly sorrow, and he found himself in a hole he didn't know how to get out of. I don't know what your paper airplane story might be. 
I don't know what it might be, the thing that in your past that you hope no one ever finds out about. I don't know what it would be for you. That would, the, the thought of someone bringing it up in conversation makes you cringe. But I want to invite you to join me in 1 John 1, 9. I've already kind of talked about this verse, but I want you to read it with me. In 1 John 1, 9, some of you may know it by heart. Verse 8, I think, is important to remind us that we've all fallen short. We've all, we've all said things, done things. That, Man, I wish I hadn't. But verse 9 is our promise of hope. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all wickedness, from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that verse? Do you really believe it? Because it requires faith to believe that. That's not how people treat us in life. I want you to understand something. You cannot change your past. We might like to get in that DeLorean, you know, from Back to the Future and go back and change. Right? We would maybe like to do that, but that doesn't exist. You can't do that. You can't change your past. Good news is that 1 John 1, 9 tells me that Jesus can change our future. Do you really believe that? If you've truly been forgiven by God, if the blood of Jesus really did pay your sin debt in full, then you've truly been set free from sin. And you are not defined by your sin. The world does that to us, but God doesn't. Now, are there consequences to our sin that last a long time, maybe even sometimes a lifetime worth? Of consequence, yeah, that happens. Sometimes relationships don't get restored. Sometimes we do walk through life from the scars of our mistakes. But those scars don't have to remain scabs that you keep picking open. And they don't have to be your identity. You don't have to walk through the rest of your life carrying a cactus that says, hi, I'm Mark, the Sunday school destroyer. That doesn't have to be your label. You don't have to walk through life saying, hi, I'm Gertrude, the homewrecker. I'm Festus, the workaholic and family imploder. I'm Peter, the betrayer. I'm Mary, the prostitute. I'm David, the adulterer. I'm Moses, the temper tantrum thrower. I'm Elijah, the pity party thrower. You don't have to walk through life with a label like that, with an identity connected to your past mistakes. When God forgives us, He does not put a disclaimer sticker on us that says, warning, terrible past. The only thing that God sees when we repent, when He forgives, is forgiven. That's it. And godly sorrow will lead us into this place of repentance and forgiveness and freedom. And it's not connected to how sorry you feel. I know that happens with people. Huh? 
Maybe I have to do this or I have to do that to make up for it. I, just, I don't know if I even felt sorry enough. I don't know if I cried long enough. It's not what repentance is based on. Repentance is a decision to turn away from sin and back to God. And that leads us into a place of God's forgiveness, which brings freedom. Here's a little irony for you. My 16-year-old son was with me when we were taking down the lights. He's in a different room doing something else when I found it. And I suppose it would have been really easy to say, oh my, I'm not telling that story. Throw it away like it never happened. It would be easy to say, I don't want to be connected to that in any way. I don't want anybody to know that about me. I am glad I found it and not somebody else. My reputation as a pastor could have been ruined. Maybe it already has. I mean, after this story today, I don't know, maybe. But I showed that to my 16-year-old son. I'm showing it to you. Not because I'm proud of my past, but because I'm forgiven. And I don't need to carry around guilt, shame, regret, because it's been forgiven. And I can take that pain from my past that I either experienced or caused, I can take that and I can say to my 16-year-old son, you don't have to make the same mistakes that I've made in the past and walk through the pain of those. You can make better choices, and I hope and pray that you will. I can look back at junior high and high school and even some things in college, and I can look back and I can say to that student in the room today, maybe the student that's sitting at home or wherever they're watching this right now, I can look you in the eye and say, listen, you may want to be cool and accepted so badly by your friends that you are willing to make bad decisions to get it. And I understand that, but I'm just cautioning you. Look me in the eye. I am cautioning you. Be careful. Here's what I know about God. I know God's got some really creative ways, sometimes even painful ways, of bringing us back to himself. Be careful. It is better to just live a Jesus-centered life, and to pursue His will for your life rather than learning it the hard way. It's just better. I can tell you that because I've been through the pain of mistakes in the past. Yes, forgiven. But hopefully I can take that pain and share it with someone else and say, you don't have to walk that path to learn this lesson. You can do that too. With whatever it is that you've walked through, God didn't give up on me. God's not going to give up on you. God still chose to use me as imperfect as I am, and God wants to use you as imperfect as you are. When you and I are confronted with the things that we have done wrong, when we are reminded of our past mistakes, we've got a choice. What are we going to do with that guilt? 
We can choose between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, and the difference between those two choices will be your faith. What do you really believe about God? What do you really believe about the sacrifice Jesus made for you, the power of his resurrection? What do you really believe about the promise that God will remove from you that sin as far as the east is from the west if you confess it and repent? Do you believe that? Here's my prayer for you today. My prayer for every one of you is this, that you will experience godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to God's grace, that leads to restoration. My prayer for you is that you will lay down the painful experiences, the painful mistakes of the past, that you will lay it down and reject and walk away from worldly sorrow. My prayer for you is that you will forgive yourself by having faith in the forgiveness 